I want to say thank you to uh, the many individuals who have been bringing some sort of baked goods when I do the chicken barbecue once a month. Uh, apparently yesterday was tremendous. They sold a tremendous amount. I think even had a little bit left over, but um, I just want to say thank you as well as to those who have come and helped with the different parts of the... Matt, you're alive and well, man. <laughs> Breathed a lot of smoke yesterday, as did I. My voice is a little raspy here this morning. It's not the smoke, actually. It's the <clears throat> charcoal. But uh, anyway, it's all gone. The chicken's all gone. And uh, I just want to say thank you to those who break pie, bring pies and cakes. And I told somebody I had ate a whole loaf of bread for breakfast. And uh, that was because, Linda, this was your little banana bread, and it was delicious. <clears throat> um, oh, I wanted to ask also, is Emma Burkett here, Jack Ressler? We just want to say congratulations to both of you. You're graduating from high school. It's amazing. <clears throat> In your bulletin, there's a little uh, half-page insert. I do this uh, many times in the summer. If you have a thought, a question, uh, maybe it's no question, you would just like to have a sermon, spend a little time focusing on a certain passage of Scripture, or a story, or something that's a, always intrigued you, or caused you to have questions, anything specific, write it out, put it in, a, give it to me, or put it in the offering receptacle out here, and we'll look at it and try to get those ideas into a sermon, <clears throat> or if it's a question... Try to look at how to answer that question. So I just wanted to call your attention to that. <clears throat> if there's something that you uh, would like to have. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 7. We have been for a number of weeks reading about, thinking about the incident, event, life of this man Noah in the Old Testament. Noah, by the way, the word Noah, the Hebrew word, means comfort. Consolation, and I, it, it says that his parents were in their older age when this baby came along, and I don't know exactly in what uh, capacity they meant that, but they said, ah, what a comfort to us to have this baby. So maybe they thought that they were going to pass into oblivion, or maybe they thought, oh, now we got somebody to help out around the house. I don't know in what sense he brought comfort to them, but isn't it true, I guess almost any baby could be named comfort and joy and, and all that kind of stuff because these, these little ones bring such positive things into our life when they arrive. <clears throat> we just know him by his name many thousands of years later. <clears throat> and as I say here in this sermon title, he was a savior, not in the same sense as Jesus, but in a very real sense, he saved the human race, helped us to survive. Without it, we would not have survived. And I, I take it that God would have completely ended this human event. And whether he would have started over, did something different, no one will ever know, I guess. But we're thankful that he did not. Because we're here to sing God Bless America and, and so forth. Um, in chapter 7, let me start reading just in verse 18. I'm sorry, that's not 18. I believe it's 
maybe 11. These, trying to line my glasses up here, I believe it's an 11. In chapter 7 of Genesis, in the 600 year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, I'm going to back up, let me, excuse, excuse me, I'm going to back up to verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals and birds and creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600 year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth. 40 days and 40 nights. If this is just a myth, a fable, some sort of an ancient, uh, some sort of an ancient honor of someone, um, you don't have to tell me that it was on the 17th day of the second month. You can just say, uh, uh, way back there, there was a great big rain. But there's a whole lot of details in here that <clears throat> have been recorded and give it a realism of of actual history. On that very day, Noah and his wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with their wife and the wives of their sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to its kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, came to Noah entered the ark, the animals were, in, were going in were male and female of every kind, of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. And then the Lord shut them in. That's a very significant phrase, in my opinion, in my understanding. This whole idea, and that's kind of what the, my sermon wants to kind of highlight here. When God shuts you in, God will take care of you. When he puts you on the ark, wherever it goes and however long it lasts, someday, somehow, he'll park the ark and he'll take care of you through this whole journey and this whole experience, even though you do not know what it may involve. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters arose rose, and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. That's what it was about. It wasn't going anywhere. It had no particular destination as far as Noah was concerned. It wasn't like they were hopping over to the next island. It just floated. It just kept them alive. It was just the place of habitation and of living. <clears throat> the, the, the ark floated on the surface of the water. They, the waters, rose greatly on the earth. And all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth. All mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and women, and I'm sorry, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Um, I did a little timeline just for my own self when I was looking at this. And uh, if Noah 
went in the ark, um, if, if you call that January the 1st, the day that he, I, I don't think it was January the 1st, but if you just call it that, January the 1st, um, by the time the ark, I was just looking for my list, by the time the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, it would have been July 17th. So if the flood started and the beginning of it all was January 1st, just taking the numbers of days, I'm saying and adding them up, that would have been July 17th. On October the 1st, the mountaintops would have been visible. On November 10th, the raven was sent out. On December the 1st, Remember, he went in January 1st. On December the 1st, the dove was sent out and came back with the olive leaf. On December the 7th, the dove was sent out and did not return. So it's almost a year now you've been in this boat. On January 1st, so it was a year later, it says that the surface of the earth was dry and the ark was opened up. On February 27th of the next year, it was completely dry and God said, come out. So, basically, uh, 14 months of, of, this whole, of the whole experience. From when he went in to when he actually came out. Long time. But guess what? A lot of water. Took a while for that water that had been brought up from the depths of the earth and down from the clouds in the, in the atmosphere to both subside into its former place as well as to... Uh, be, be evaporated, I take it, because it says that the Lord uh, gave a great wind on the surface of the earth, and that also helped to dry up the effects of the flood. <clears throat> I suppose it was probably a quite a turbulent ride, because it says that the, that the forces of the earth broke up. The, the, the lower, the depths of the earth broke apart, I take it that this is when maybe the continents were even formed. I'm not positive. I'm no expert in this area. That's what some people feel, that before that, the, the land mass was one land, piece of land and the sea was the other. And then during the turbulence of the flood, what we call the tectonic plates of the earth, the continents and so forth, kind of broke apart into pieces from the violence and the turbulence of the action of the water that was convulsing over the face of the earth. I don't know for sure whether that's the way it happened. I mean, if that's when it happened or not. But that's one scenario that many people accept. <clears throat> I'm quite sure, in any case, when you've got for 40 days rains coming down and, the, and also water coming up from the subterranean surface of the earth, um, I'm quite sure things got turbulent. And there were times probably where the ark, and remember... The ark was the interior would have been mostly dark, which is not really sunny when it's raining anyway, right? Um, so this would have been a time of a lot of of darkness and motion, and not knowing very much about what's going on. Um, if you've read or talked to or heard the story of lunar astronauts, either upon their takeoff from the Earth or they're docking with another station, docking with a, 
another ship or a solar station or whatever, or sometimes just the maneuvering in deep space. Uh, it's quite violent. The G-forces are tremendous. And I have read or astronauts said that they basically were trying to hang on to like a bucking horse just to stay in their chair to keep their hands at their control while their, their spaceship was violently trembling and tumbling and turning and it was completely black out in space. They don't even know where they are. They don't know when they're going to come down. They don't know when this is going to stop. And especially some of the early ones didn't know what to expect. Pretty disconcerting. And this would have certainly been probably how it was with Noah, where he and his family were in this box, and for a period of time, life was very turbulent, and they, didn't sure, they weren't sure where it was going to come out. So, um, it, it, certainly, it certainly is a lesson for us about trusting and waiting and being patient and putting our faith in God. And that's what I want to encourage us all to do today. How long? What did, what did Noah know? Well, we know from the beginning part of the story that he knew that God was going to send a flood. He knew that it was his task to save human life and animal life. And he, we, knew, we know that he knew that it would take a considerable amount of time. Before he ever left, he, he knew that it was going to be a while, but he didn't know how long it was going to be. Even if the Lord had told him, I'm going to send rain for 40 days, it was, of course, much longer than 40 days was this whole event. So he didn't know how long he was going to be in there. He wasn't sure how severe exactly were going to be, was going to be the turbulence. And he certainly didn't know where he was going to end up. We're told that he ended up on the side of a mountain or on the top of a mountain. So, in a way, Noah's life is similar to ours. We're not, we're not cooped up in a box in a storm, but we don't know how long our life is going to be. We don't know how severe the tests are going to be. We don't know exactly where we're going to end up. We can do all we can to control those factors, but in the end, we don't, we're not able to control those factors. A couple of thoughts to share. I love this phrase. Sometimes when the Lord takes the controls of life away, when the Lord removes the crutches that we depend on, could be our loved ones, we lose in death. And we just think, I don't know how I'm going to go on without that person. Or we might lose our job. We might get moved and we say, I don't know how to function I, I've had all the familiar stripped away from me. Everything I was counting on, all, everything I was planning on about how I was going to retire or how I was going to do this or how I was going to do that, and that's all been rearranged. I talked to a guy yesterday who came to me, at me up there at the chicken grill and was talking to me, and he said, my life has been ruined by a certain, some events that had happened. And he said, I've got to start all over. And he was about my age or so, I think, maybe a little bit older. He said, I've got to start all over now. And he was quite agitated about 
events and about now how it had brought unwelcome changes into his life. Um, when Noah went in the ark, uh, I, I, I don't know exactly how this happened. We don't know what exactly the ark looked like, but the, 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 the Scripture is pretty uh, clear to say that God was involved in this process. Something was going on that was bigger than Noah. God shut the door. I heard a day or two ago that a passenger opened the door on a, a South Korean flight. You hear about that? Somehow got the door open. Apparently, uh, apparently, I mean, I do mean in the air, not sitting on the runway. Apparently, about four or five passengers tackled him and tried to get him to stop, and he still was able to get this door open while they're flying. But uh, apparently nobody fell out, and nobody was injured, and the airplane was able to land. It's pretty bizarre. But uh, this wasn't a human being. I don't know if this door was too massive or for a person to close. I don't know exactly what it means or why it brings up this point. But I think it's significant <clears throat> that God shut the door. In other words, the Lord was involved, and he was saying, Noah, you got a lot of this to do on your own, but I'm paying attention to you. And very gently and deliberately, I'm taking care of you. I'm putting the lid on. I will hold this thing together. I think it's saying that kind of thing. Why else would it even bother to tell us that God shut the door? Now, as to whether God can shut a door, that's a, perhaps a different, a, a different question. But the Bible tells us God can do all kinds of things without our help. Well... I was reading recently about Peter who was put in prison by King Herod. And there, the angel came and said, Peter, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. And they got up and it says the door opened by itself. So God can open a door. God can close a door. These things God has no problems doing. But they suggest to us that God is part of the process. And then it says, while the Floods came and the waters pitched and the storms maybe howled and roared and it was dark. It says, but God remembered Noah. So the first one says to me, if God's going to shut my door, I just have to trust him because I can't get it open and I don't know when it will open. The second one says to me, okay, <clears throat> God remembers me. He knows I'm here. He knows the circumstances that I'm in. I just have to wait. For him and wait on him and, and exercise some faith and some patience here because that is what, that's all I have going for me is what God is up to in the fact that in the, in the, in the big picture, God remembers me. He didn't, he didn't get too busy and forget. That's one of the problems when I do chicken. People come and, and, and want to talk and I get talking with them and, and I forget but my, my chicken and needs tension over here, and I'm, I'm running back and forth. God isn't like that. He can do other things, and at the same time, he still remembers what's going on over here. He remembers Noah. He remembered Noah. And then it says that his sons and his sons' wives and he was with him. And this caused me to say this, Make, makes me think of this, and I, I want to just say it the best way that I can here. Many times we're disappointed by our sons or the wives of our sons 
And what I mean by that is many times they take off a different direction and they enter into a different orbit than we are. And we say, oh, oh my, everything I taught them went in one ear and out the other. And everything I've tried to show them, they don't understand or they don't appreciate. It just hit and it just bounced off. My family's made a Teflon and my faith doesn't even matter to them. I've heard this a million times. Where we get discouraged and we think my example and my words really don't mean anything to my kids or my grandkids. I want to say that's not true. You may think it's true. It may seem like it's true in circumstances. But as somebody who has talked to thousands of people in times of funerals, I guarantee you, and I promise you, that your family does not and cannot escape the impact of your faith. I hear it after people have died. And I'm simply saying, sad as it is, that we hear about it after somebody died, it's there. And the impact is lodged in the hearts and the lives of people. Sometimes they may not come around and say much about it until, I, until the person is gone. But sometimes that's not the case. I'm simply saying this. All you can do about your family is just keep them as close as what you can. Seek to maintain a relationship with them the best that you can. And understand that, listen, that, understand that your faith does impact them. I mean, everybody swung on Noah's coattails here. This ark was about him. God and him had a conversation. It wasn't Shem, it wasn't Ham, it wasn't Japheth. This was God and Noah that had this disagreement. Uh, and had God picked Noah. He loved and favored Noah. But these other guys got by because they were part of Noah. You know, his coattails were long enough it covered these kids and their, and their mates. And their lives were saved because of Noah. So, the impact of his faith necessarily affected his family. I'm simply saying to you, it could be your parent, could be your child, could be your sibling, that you think, ah, oh, they just make fun of me, they could care less. And I want to say to you, no matter what the external part seems like, your faith affects them. Don't give up and don't quit because of that. Okay, I know my time is about up, but... I'm just going to flip through here quickly. This is what the Bible says. Many people don't buy it. Many people, many, many skeptics. They just say, oh, it was, you know, it was a local regional situation. I'm simply pointing out what the Bible says. It says all the world was underwater. It was the whole world. That's what it says. All the mountains were covered. Um, people have said, I'll just mention these three quickly. Some people have said, well, the water would weigh too much. It would pull the earth off the orbit, off of our orbit around the sun. If water covered, the, if there's so much water that it would cover the, the surface of the earth clear up to the mountains, the, the earth couldn't even handle it. Some people have said, well, we don't see the record of this. In the ge and I, I, I look at them and I say, <laughs> really? What? You, you take your blinders off if you cannot see the record of it. And this one is, to me, the most ludicrous of all, of those who would say, well, we never found the boat, therefore it didn't really ever happen. We're quite sure. Um, as if 
every clue and every component of anything that ever happened in history is available to us. This was, this was something that happened thousands of years ago. And uh, nobody even knows where this boat landed. So don't get too disturbed about the fact that somehow it's not sitting in the Smithsonian Museum. Um, there are wonderful answers to these questions. There are many, many scholarly places that you can look and find great discussions and great understanding of some of these objections that people have. But here's the, the, here's the bottom line about this. Um, we know, you know, I know, that our worldview determines how we accept or reject evidence. If I want to hear something, I'll listen to it. If I don't want to hear it, I don't hear it. It doesn't matter how many people say it to me. It doesn't matter how obvious it is. I don't, if I don't believe it, and I've already decided I'm not going to believe it, I can stand there and say, there's no evidence. So, it seems to me that the issue isn't the evidence nearly as much as it is the worldview the determination of people whether or not they're open and willing to accept the evidence. And this is what Peter calls the skeptics. A skeptic is a person that says, nah, nah, I don't believe it. it is not. That is, that's, that's not true. And they don't even have to look at the evidence. They already know. You can present them with any evidence you want. Don't really matter. They're going to say, nah, that didn't happen. Second, it seems to me that the very fact, and this, I wish we had time to discuss this, because I know some of you would have very interesting points of view about this. It seems to me that the very fact that we demand evidence as a human being, when we have a Bible that says, hey, here's what happened. There was a man named Noah. And Jesus himself affirms that, as do other writers in the same record of what we call our div divinely inspired word, if this is what it is. Then whether we have evidence or not, whether we find evidence or not, whether we understand evidence or not, shouldn't even be our main concern. It's all great to, to come up with and look for and to pursue. But the very fact that we say, I believe what the Bible says when the evidence proves it, to me says, already I'm on the wrong foot. Already I'm putting other things above God um, and that I resist, I resist the revelation of God until the evidence forces me to accept it. That's not really what faith is. Okay. Let me close with just making some thoughts, some statements about the kind of a place and time where Noah was when he was in the ark. He, uh, this was a year of just great uncertainty in his life. He didn't know where he's going to end up. He didn't know what shape and and if you could have thought throughout the year what it was going to be like to land into a world where there was no uh, none of the former life was still there it'd be devastating i mean just to think you know when when i come out of this thing even when that you you would think you would you would think in a way it would be a comfort to say ah oh, someday this boat's going to land and we'll get to come out but then you stop and think but nothing's going to be like it was before and this is a huge connection with our world because often things happen and we realize it's never going to be like it was before. 
before I had cancer, before I had, was divorced, before my mother died. We, we, you know, there's a million things that tie us into a, a changed world, and we can't look. We we can never go back and have it like it was before, never. Well, that's called uncertainty, and that's what calls for faith and trust when we cannot know the future. So, so here's just a couple questions for to ponder as you as you think of times where you feel really really uncertain about the future, you feel really frightened about the future. Number one, a God who says. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never walk away from you. This is the promise of God in the Scripture. If this is true, then it helps me to consider this question. Yeah, why would God leave me? He made me and put me here. So why should He walk away from me? I didn't have to be born. I didn't ask to be born. God put me here, so there must be a reason. Yeah, He'll take care of me. That's a good thought. Second, why do I think I have to understand everything God is doing? I know I'd like to. It'd be nice. But the scripture says that the mind of God and the path that he treads is unfathomable. Romans chapter 11 says, oh, I just get, we would get lost if we tried to track God's trail. So that helps us in being uncertain. I don't have to figure it all out. Secondly, or thirdly, I don't have to control all the details of my life to be considered success. This is a human fallacy. This is a human myth that the successful person is a guy who set out when they were 10 years old and said, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 and, and, and I'm going to do all these things. And then they did it and it all just dovetailed completely with their plan. What a success! I'm simply saying, um, we don't have to define success as that. What about the poor creature that said, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30, but then at age 20, a war came along, and they, their life was sent sideways, and they had to completely change. It's okay, because that doesn't mean you're not a success. Success is, isn't just defined by somebody being able to control all their details. Why do, this is, whoo, this is a good one for me. This is one that I have a hard time with. Why do I think that I can only enjoy and find meaning in life if it's like it used to be? Before the big things changed or before the sad things happened. Why do I think that that's the only option for having a wonderful and enjoyable life. This is paradigm of my past. I mean, with Noah, as I said, when he got out of the ark, whew, everything was different because there was no past. All of it was gone. A little child, Jesus said, you got you to gotta go at life like a little kid. A little kid don't get upset about the future not being exactly known and understood. A little kid just lives from day to day and they don't even, they don't worry about tomorrow. They just don't stretch their minds across that, around that hoop. And Jesus said that's, and I'm simply saying, well, why did Jesus pick that as, as an image for us? What a wonderful thought that I can seek to be like a little child. <clears throat> just, a, just an anagram here of uh, whatever you call those things, 
uh, one way to capture the idea of F-A-I-P-H. Not about Noah, about me. About just being able to trust the Lord, to rest in the, in the fact that I feel like I'm shut up in an ark and I don't know when and where and how I'm going to land. But this, this is what I can do. I can just forward all those issues to heaven and say, okay, I'm just going to ride. I'm glad, Lord, that you are the one who shut the door. I'm glad to know that you didn't forget me while I'm here in this waiting stage. Maybe you're, you know, you're waiting for some significant event to happen in life, like a, a, something dealing with education or marriage or anything, and you, and you, and you say, well, I'm primed and ready, but it's, the, the, it's just not happening yet. Things haven't set in place. Okay. It's a little bit like riding in the ark. And I, I don't know when the storm's going to come to an end. It's, it's a challenge to us and a call to us as, as believers to have faith. Would you stand, please? I've gone past my time. I appreciate your patience. Heavenly Father, in this room, each of us have our own different issues. And some of us have a lot of questions while we wait. And the storm pounds. Others of us are not facing a storm, but we're still waiting. We're still waiting for wonderful news that, that there's, we can walk out of this ark into some more broad place. Where we're not shut up and confined. Where our life has a new direction. This is just all part of the issues of our humanity, Heavenly Father. We bring them to you and we come to wait quietly before you this morning. Do a work within our hearts, a, a spiritual work. This is not about the physical environment. This is now about our mind and our heart and our will. We come to you thankful to hear these words that you can shut the door that you will remember us and know where we are even when we don't know where we are. When we come to and we stand here in your presence saying, Lord, when we leave here today, fill us with a confidence that the big picture is being fulfilled, that there's life after the ark, after this period of waiting. There will be a rainbow there will be a new, a new planet and new responsibilities and new opportunities for us. So we want to wait and be still, my soul, and trust you today. We thank you that with your help, we certainly can do that. We pray for your provision and your power as we will need them to take care of ourselves and to bless others in the process. And we'll ask, we'll give you thanks for all of it today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said together, amen, amen.